Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. One thirty-three in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. Getting a lot of response on the Heartland Ford text line at 630-630, asking about Ryan McLeod. And then I'm pleased to be joined in studio by the host of Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins. And Reed, we'll start hey. right there. Okay. Ryan McLeod, in terms of the prospect pecking order, what do you see for this guy? What To answer the questions of the people, what is his ceiling? What could his role be oh. within the organization, say, this year? Oh, I think he's in the minors this year. I, I don't know. Well, it, the thing is with a lot of these prospects, I don't see anybody that you're. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, this is the year he makes the team out of camp. I think we're a year or two away from that for a lot of the pro- top prospects, such as Evan Bouchard. I, I would put McLeod in that category. Boy, he would... Um, if, if, he, if he can be here in a year or two, and the Oilers still have the big three on the top two lines... That'd be a heck of a third-line player, you know. If mm-hmm. McLeod could could fit in there with his with his speed, and if he's able to finish at the NHL level, that that could be pretty promising. There, I, I, the name I'm going to throw out there, if if there's a prospect that makes it out of camp, okay, and and by, and by no way am I saying it that this is a guarantee. And part of me even hates to say this because I don't want to put any pressure. But people, you know, people will ask. Well, is Bouchard going to be on the team? Is Yamamoto going to be on the team? Out of camp this year, if I were to give you a name that I think is most likely to all of a sudden be an Oiler, it would be Tyler Benson. It, it, it really would, because he had a really strong year in the minors. Um, you know, he has, when he's healthy, like I, I think it's pretty simple for Benson. When, when he's been healthy, he has excelled at whatever level of hockey he's been in. Right, going back to when he was setting all the Bantam records, playing here in Edmonton, and you know, I I think he's a good puck protection type player. I I think he's an intelligent player, and those types of things you know tend to translate well at the NHL level. So I I think if uh, what day is it? Well, we're less than two months from the start of the season. If if we're two months from now, and we're saying, oh, this guy excelled at camp and actually earned a spot, and Tippett has said. And and Holland has said they're like they're not fooling anybody. There's there's spots for young guys if they push. Like yeah, they've gone out and signed the Yurkos and Granlins of the world, but they've said if if somebody absolutely grabs it, there's a spot. I think in terms of this year, it, it, for me it would be Benson. 
but I, but but still, I'm I'm not saying that that is even likely or probable. But but I think he's the best one in terms of which prospect could have the highest ceiling. Where four or five years from now, we're sitting here saying, "Oh man, that guy really turned out to to live up to to the type of pick to you know to where he was picked or what we were hoping." I think that's Bouchard. Just because of the offensive potential, the power play potential, and if he if he rounds out in his own end, and it can, lead, I mean, look, I, I think f- you got to be realistic. Players, you know, they they are who we thought they were. <laughs> we let him off the hook, but no, like I, I think with Bouchard, he's not, you know, he's not going to turn into uh, you know Ken Danico in terms of defending. But if he can round out and be an average defender and have that puck moving offensive element, then down the road. That that could be really good for the Oilers. So in terms of what prospect down the road I see maybe being a, a big home run, probably Bouchard. Short term to make the team in the fall, to me the most likely is Benson. Benson putting up 66 points. That was 15 goals, 51 assists, over 68 games with Bakersfield last year. Pretty and- good numbers. Marodi had over point-a-game numbers as well. Uh, I think at the NHL level, though, Marodi would be more of a depth player. I don't know if he would have quite the finish, same finish at the NHL level. I don't think the mobility would have him as a as a, you know, top two top I mean maybe he's even an NHL fourth liner. But I but I but he has some potential as well. So part of the problem that I see in that argument is just the numbers game in that if you're going to have Joachim Nygaard mm-hmm. as your third-line left wing, and let's suppose a lot of people don't buy that Jujar Kara can play third-line center for this team. A lot of people seem to be, and, and we'll yeah, see I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant, and I, I and you know I'm extremely hesitant. Like, the, the roster projections that have Haas there, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, we... <laughs> so regardless of this, we're, we're going to see a situation where if Kara has to play the left wing on the fourth line, mm-hmm. well, where does Benson slide into that? Because I don't think he's ready to center an NHL line yet. I think he can come play on the wing. You know what I mean? So it, it becomes yeah, an argument where the skill might well, be Well, this there, is the problem. This... They still have too many fourth line players. Right? Definitely. They have a lot of players that you could comfortably slot in on the fourth line. Right. Uh, that you think some okay, of those who are going to end up playing on the play, third playing line on the well. third line, right? Third line. I mean, the, the hypothetically, hopefully, the top two lines are better. Though there's still okay. What are the questions on the top two lines? Can Cassian do what he did in the final thirty games? Mm-hmm. Right, where he was a pretty good compliment to McDavid and Drysital. Can Neil bounce back? And then, if we're giving the other spot to Chase on, can Chase on do? Sp- Somewhere between what he did in each half of this, I mean, he had uh, what was it? I always say the stat. I think he had 17 goals in his first 34 games played because he was scratched the first five and he missed a couple. So, right. and then he had five the rest of the way. So, if he can, if he gets you, what what would you need from Chase on two goals every 10 games? That's a 16 goal season. Okay, maybe, but if if they're if they're kind of more evenly just so so the to, there's still questions on the top two lines, maybe a, a little less if you hope those guys can, those three guys can carry the load, but they, yeah, then then the third line and that's what happened last year, right? It dropped off a lot from the first to the second line, even if Nuge was playing well, and then it really dropped off from the second to the third line. So maybe the second line's a little a little, little more like a true second line this year. And then there's still that drop-off, right, where you say, well, it's almost like they have two fourth lines. Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo appears to be an odd man out. Right. 
on on that back end that they've really done a job of retooling around him and so a few textures here at 6.30, 6.30 wondering what it would take to get him out of Buffalo. The suggestion that it would be Chris Russell and yes, a Paul Yarby to me is absolutely not enough and I don't know where you slot that $5.4 million cap hit into this team. So personally, I don't see a fit, but what do you think of this situation? Well, yeah, Russell and I mean, again, I, I understand Oilers fans. Sometimes when you you got to pretend you're the other GM, right? And, and would you make that trade going the other way? I mean, look, if you're Buffalo, who do you ask for? You ask for Nuge. That's where you'd start. I mean, you'd have to. Would Edmonton want to do that? Well, no, because that severely weakens. It, like, unless... In, unless Edmonton was somehow willing to part with one of the prospects we were talking about, but then you, but then still the money doesn't fit. Right. So I don't know who's, you know, teams aren't looking to do, you know, I know a lot of people are thrilled with that Neil for Lucic trade. The Edmonton still have to take on some money, though, for it to happen. Right. So if Buffalo is going to trade Ristolainen, and they're not going to also say, oh, yeah, Edmonton, and we'll take one of your bad contracts just so you can fit under the cap. It, 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 that'd be a tough one to make work. Now, having said that, I, I wasn't sure Holland would be able to pull off a Lucic deal, and he did, but they, they'd have to get pretty creative there. Well, here's the thing. There's going to be cap relief in the coming years if you can get some of these guys on entry-level contracts contributing, which has been well, an absolute... It has not happened for this team, and that's where I look at a team like Tampa and think, well, how on earth do they have this many quality players? It's because they're making... Uh, they're producing at a very high level on an entry-level contract. So if Ryan McLeod can turn into that guy, if Tyler Benson can turn into that guy, and I'm not saying this year, but then you have more wiggle room when somebody like Ristolainen becomes available. I think if the Oilers are ever to become an elite team, we're, at, we're, we're on a day like August, whatever it is, is today the 12th? Yeah. Where you're sitting there on August 12th of whatever year, and you can confidently say, you know what, they're in the top six teams in the league. You know, they're, if you're in the top six in the NHL, you got, you got a pretty good chance. Then I think they're going to probably have to have three really effective players on entry-level contracts. Maybe one's on your second line and one's on your third and one's on your fourth or two are on your third and one's on your fourth. You know, whether Benson's up, McLeod's up, Yamamoto fits in somewhere. And I'm just talking about forwards. I'm not even touching Mm -hmm. on the the D right now. But you're right, that could potentially free up money because then you can potentially go out and add somebody. But that's, I mean, right now the Oilers are in a, they're still, like I know they missed the playoffs last year and they, they were quite a ways out of it by the end of the year. Um, for most of the year, they were in the same range as Columbus and Colorado, both of who wound up getting in, but Edmonton never put it together at the right time to get in. So for they're, they're missing that. I mean, they're, miss, they're missing the depth, and you need some youth. You need some depth youth because then you can have guys on ELCs being effective. Simple as that. We're joined in studio by the host of Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins and Reed. The sports that are actually going on right now include tennis yes, and football. Yes. The Canadian version, anyway. I'm, I don't know how closely the listeners would follow the preseason of the NFL, but the Eskimos back on home field this past weekend on Friday night. They got out, for all intents and purposes, a, a pretty ugly victory against the Ottawa Red Blacks. And Red Blacks! <laughs> it's a... Uh, 
It didn't look good to start the game. It, it seemed like the pass rush was finally stymied in some sense by the fact that Dominique Davis could get out of the pocket and he yeah. could he put them in trouble. And so yeah. the way that they've been able to dominate games was null and void, and they had to figure out a way to react. Well, I think that's the vulnerability of the defense. And, and Brendan, this is an excellent Eskimos defense. It, it might be as good as the one they had in 2015 when they won. I know that one had some guys that, you know what McCoyle and and Lacey that that went to the NFL and Grimes was in his prime and you know Sherritt was strong and all mm-hmm. that and they had pass rushers. This one this one might be better. This one might be better. And but you're right. The susceptibility is the mobile quarterback who can get out of the pocket, change the angle of the throw a little bit. But what we have seen from the Eskimos defense, and we saw it on Friday night, is you can make plays on them. But it's hard to make six, seven, eight plays in a row and put together a drive. Even that first drive of the game. Oh, Ottawa's coming. Ottawa, no, Colhoun intercepts it. I mean, they mm-hmm. the, the defense makes those home run plays. Okay, they're down. Where were they? Inside the 10 when Boateng stuffed the guy in the back. They may even be inside the 5. Boateng stuffs the guy in the backfield. And then the end of the game, all right, they... That was the only drive in the second half Ottawa moved the ball. That was right. they. I think they had a, just over 100 yards in the second half. They had 50 on that drive. And most of it on that one play where they kind of baited Orange and got behind him. But then they're at the 11. Orange knocks down two and Johnson knocks. And that's the impressive thing about that, that stand. An Eskimo defender touched the ball on all those plays. Those weren't you know, overthrows or, or clumsy throws. Those were ones that the Eskimo player got in there and broke up the play, and that's what makes that defense so great. They, they they hunt the ball, they look to make plays. They're they're aggressive, and and they adapted. I mean, like I said, Ottawa did not do much in the second half, like very little, except for putting together a desperation drive at the end of the game. So you look at what I just mentioned. Those, even if we just those three drives, those are drives that could have been twenty one points for Ottawa. They got three. Now, granted, if it were a different point of the game, they would have kicked a field goal on that late drive. But still, I, I mean the. The defense might have given up some yards. They didn't give up the points, which is the flip side of, I assume, the next thing you want me to talk about. (laughs) Which is the absolute inability for the Eskimos to score when they're in the red zone. I don't know whether it's play calling. That seems to sort of be it. You have an... Like the end zone, when you see it from field level, is absolutely huge. And you wonder wonder why... and believe me, I'm, I'm not pretending to be an offensive coordinator here whatsoever. But they weren't they weren't coming away with touchdowns, and it got to a point when they it shouldn't have been as close as it was, Reed. And it was an inability to get the job done in the Papa John's red zone that makes me a little bit concerned. Well, and, and here's why I'm also concerned. And, and they are five and three, and they're right in the thick of it. And, and I think anybody in the league they have a chance to beat on any given day. Like, cl- clearly, they're they're a good team. But this is not a one-off with the offense. And I know, you know, and I'm going to have Blake on tonight, and he has said a lot that he likes them, just wait till they catch fire, wait till they start finishing. We're eight games into an 18-game season, mm-hmm. and they have repeatedly shown that, that they don't finish. So that's what's... A, it, it's, not, it's not a one-off anymore. It, it's a trend. Uh, they, they. Uh, the first half was pretty frustrating, but I, you know, as, as critical as I as I was at, at halftime, and you know, I said there's too many short passes that are three yards or fewer down the, down the field, and it's frustrating. And and they're really relying on yak a lot and putting a lot of pressure on receivers. 
they moved the ball in the second half, and they moved the ball with similar play calling. So, you know, I can't – it was working, and they and, he, and they committed to the run, mm-hmm. and Gable had a great second half. Yep. I, I think mostly on Friday it was complete short yardage failure. Like, Harris fumbles. Uh, he had the yardage. I mean, that was right in front of you, I yep. think. I think he had the yardage easily oh, yeah. on yep. that one. And then the sh- the shotgun short yardage play to me that's play calling. That's maybe overthinking it, and maybe a little bit of stubbornness because they did that in Winnipeg and it didn't work. And then you have the third and two where you do the shotgun, and then Ottawa is probably thinking, okay, this is to set us up for a pass somewhere, and they swing it out to Daniels, and he has nowhere to go. Right? I mean, the, Ottawa was right all over that play, and then the play on the goal line. And, and I think Blake said this after the game. That's just the O line didn't do it. I, I mean, he always said he like, he's, he told the great story that when he played, uh, he, uh, his uh, O line coach said you gotta you gotta get your feet past where we're trying to go, and then we got it. And I think that was just they got they got out muscled on that play. So it's a, it's a combination I think of execution uh, and, and play calling on those short yardage plays. That was as and I and I'm sitting in the stands and I'm feeling the same way. You know they throw that pass straight sideways and there's no blocking, and the receiver gets swarmed by three guys and gets three yards. You know it, it can be frustrating. I understand the mentality because they're trying to stretch the field horizontally, with, and to, to hopefully open up vertical plays, which did work on the Daniels non-touchdown because right. he faked this. He, he he did a slant and go, so he made Ottawa think they're going short again, and then he just burned by everybody. So I, I get it; they're trying to set up other plays, but it was it was primarily the the short yardage on uh, on Friday night. They 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 have to they have to figure that out because they can't. You can you can get away with it against Ottawa, you know. Then you know they're a plucky enough team, but you can get away with it against Ottawa. They got some big games coming out. If you leave seven, ten, fourteen points on the table against Winnipeg or Calgary, like they did in Calgary the week before, you're gonna you're gonna lose by by seven or ten points. Exactly. And we saw uh, Sean White, who's now called into double duty with Hugh O'Neill on the uh, the six game injured list. He's punting. His, his focus is though he is still the leading point scorer in the league. Is Sean White? Uh, he did miss one. And and you talked about the touchdown that got called back. Devers Daniels discipline. Although it wasn't completely on the forefront for this team, because both teams, it was a very, very chippy game throughout. Mm-hmm. But you look at taking more points off the board for your team. I think it was it was uh, I. It might have been a holding call that called that back. Ruby, you know, Ruby got called for that. I when they, I only saw the one replay on the big screen. I thought it might have been Gable who took I down the it blitzer. Was Gable too. And then I, I watched the replay when I got home, and Ruby kind of had the arm bar across the shoulders, and I guess he didn't quite release it quick enough. So it's one of those. Maybe you're hoping you, you get away with it. I, I wonder, too, with the kicking game, if, if they might sign a punter. And as we saw on that last punt, when they went after White, he, he didn't get much on that one. And then, then there was the no yards, because the, the Eskimos players covering the kick had no idea where the ball was. And uh, I think Deadman was still in the game. I think it was before he got hurt. Or no, maybe it was after he got hurt, because he got hurt on that quick kick, but he right. just ran up and caught it with players standing right next to him, So and then 15 yards for free. 
Before I let you go, I do want to ask, uh, Bianca Andrescu wins the Rogers Cup, albeit due to Serena Williams retiring with injury, but you get a Canadian winning on Canadian soil, and, and you, you sort of go down the list. Canadian basketball, yep. on the up and up. Look at Alfonso Davies. Canadian soccer might be in a better position now uh, than it's been in a well, long time. You see Well, tennis. that's not that hard. Well, <laughs> granted, There's of nowhere course, to go but, for up for the men's But it, 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 give me a quick thought on, on okay, what's I, kind of a Canadian uprising. I think it's great... Uh, I think it's long overdue. I, I mean, I'm of the generation where, you know, you'd be happy to see a Canadian golfer make the cut. Dave Barr contended at a U.S. Open, I think, in 85 or 86. But, you know, Weir's, Weir's won a major. You've had can, a Canadian basketball player win MVP. You got probably going to have 15 Canadians in the NBA this year, maybe more. Um you know, there's some good golfers that haven't broken through. You got some good tennis players. I think it's long overdue, and I hope that Canadian fans em- embrace them. And I mean, I'm not like it. I'm not. I'm not taking away from from hockey or some of the winter sports excellence. I think we should be able to do both. I mean, we're a developed nation. We're one of the best places in the world to live. Somebody a few years ago said to me, you know, Sweden has a lot of elite. You know, they've had the the Edbergs and the and the uh, Parnovics of the world and uh, Sorenstam, you know, like great, great players, and they're still a good hockey nation, and I think their population's a little less than Canada, so I think we can strive to be like that. No doubt. What's coming up on your show tonight? Well, Blake's going to pop on, and we'll probably have a little more on the the tennis. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And the Eskimos Coaches Show is at 7.30. Reed Wilkins from 6.30 Chad's Inside Sports. Back to wrap up Oilers now after this. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Shed. Fifty-six years ago today, the great Sir Mix-a-Lot was born, and he gave us this gem. I like to think of Reed Wilkins at the club in the 90s jamming to that one. All right. Uh, on this day in Oilers history, special shout out to studio producer Dustin Kaufman for that one. Um, back in 2014, the Oilers signed 2014 third overall pick Leon Dreisaitl to an entry-level contract. He scored nine points in 37 NHL games the following season and then dominated the WHL. 53 points in 32 games, going to the Memorial Cup with the Kelowna Rockets, where he was named the MVP of the tournament. The rest, as they say with Leon, is history 105 points last year for the German looking for a repeat this year no doubt you heard it tonight on Inside Sports they're talking Eskimos Blake Dermott on the show tomorrow 
Sportsnet Mark Spector returns for the horses. Horse Racing Alberta who present the 90th running of the Canadian Derby this Sunday, August 18th at the Century Mile Racetrack and Casino. Hey, we had a texture from Camrose wondering about an AJHL preview. It's coming your way with Tyler King out of the Brooks Bandits organization tomorrow at 1.35. should tell you too, so we don't miss this one. Royal Pizza is celebrating 50 years in Edmonton, still making it great. And on now through October, they're offering the combo special. Your choice of Greek or Caesar salad, garlic toast, two medium gourmet pizzas, four anniversary cookies for 50 bucks. Pick that up at any one of their 14 Edmonton locations. Always a pleasure. Appreciate your contributions. Up next, we're going to a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwin, followed by the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News with guest host Morgan Black, Brad Whisker, Brendan Escott, saying we'll do it again tomorrow. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.